right, y'all, we are back for another episode, and I am so excited to have a guest with me today. And we're going to dive into talking about dietary supports. Often I hear in this field, do I need to be changing my child's diet now that they've been diagnosed as autistic? And you can scroll social media and you can find all these different recommendations. But you might be wondering, how do I know when dietary changes or different dietary supports are needed? Is this the right path for my child? And you may be even asking your child's pediatrician about this, and maybe it's not their zone of expertise. They're not even sure themselves. So that is exactly what we're going to dive into today. But the way that we're going to frame dietary supports and dietary changes and shifts is really focused on individual needs. So we're going to talk about how, yes, there's all these different approaches that you might hear, but there is a way to actually know if it's a good fit for your child or not. I want to give a quick caveat in this, though, that if you are new in this diagnosis process, you're already feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling like so much is coming at you, this might not be your go-to episode right now. It's going to live here forever so you can come back and listen as you get going along in this journey. But sometimes what can happen is too much information at once as a parent can just shut you down from being able to make any decisions. So think about circling back. But if you've been part of this autism journey for a while or you've been really curious about dietary supports, we will be having Dr. Nina Marie Rueda on the podcast, and we'll be diving into that shortly. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I've supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent. We dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Now, let's get to talking to Dr. Nina Marie. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here today. And I am so excited to chat with you. This was a long coming. Yes, absolutely. I know this started as an organic connection through my current business coach, your former yes. business coach. And yes. I reached out and I was like, okay, I saw one of Mina Marie's posts and I was like, I think we need to connect and chat. And so I knew we had to have her on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat. I've listened to your podcast and I've looked through your work and I'm so excited for what you're doing with families. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I love it for sure. So, all right, let's start off by having you give us a little bit of an introduction of how you got more into this space of nutrition and supporting families in this way. Well, my introduction to anything related to nutrition was my first pregnancy in Becoming pregnant, I joined a childbirth education class and we were there once a week for three months. There was, at the beginning, a lot of information on how important it was to eat to support pregnancy and support your child's growth and development in particular. So I started to read avidly at that point, became a labor doula and then postpartum doula. I would get questions about food. So I went and enrolled in functional nutrition training and from there, 
enrolled in a naturopathic doctor training. And so that's how I became a naturopath. But my introduction to this field of working with children or children with neurodivergent tendencies was because of my second child specifically. My son, my middle son, though there is no formal diagnosis and though there is no severities as compared to other families, there was definitely some things that were off. And my husband and I, as early as 16 to 18 months with him, we knew something was not correct, not right. The way that he would act, his even just physical maneuvers and how he moved his body, it was a sign for us that something deeper was going on. And for a while, we just brushed it off as he's a little boy, it's little boy tendencies. And eventually it started to become urgent enough that we knew that he was putting himself in danger, putting my other children in danger as well. His aggression got really bad. He became very physical, throwing himself, et cetera. And so I started to delve into, okay, there are some tendencies here that are not normal. What are different things that I could do to support him? Lifestyle changes, dietary changes, things like that. We still have some things that we're concerned over with him, but there has been some big steps in the right direction for him. Awesome. Yeah. And we're going to dive into some of those today. And I think what you uncovered, but how would you describe to someone that doesn't know what a naturopath is? Yeah. So I am a traditional naturopath. I was not trained and I didn't want to be trained in utilizing prescription medication or surgery. I specifically wanted to have the training or education that revolves around what are the basic natural needs of a human being in lifestyle that we ought to be supporting? And then how can we use food to support those basic physiological needs? And it could be various dietary changes or restrictions, or in many cases, supplementation it may be needed as well, but it's very targeted with adequate or appropriate testing. And we work through all of those different, very individualized needs, making changes as we see fit without utilizing medication, surgery, procedures, things like that. I work with many people who are on medication. I've taken courses to learn and understand what those medications may be used for. So I can help support, for example, some nutrients are depleted when one uses medication. So I'm figuring out, okay, if this is being depleted, we want to bring these kinds of foods in to support what is being taken away by using that prescription. But for the most part, it's diet and lifestyle and lots of testing to make sure we're doing the right things. Yeah. And I just want to share this backstory, but a little bit of what intrigued me to start looking into people that supported autistic children and their families in this way was I happened to work with a nurse practitioner and she does a ton of blood work and in a different way than traditional medicine would do it. Just the way that we're looking at ratios and conversions and all of that. And then I have started being on more supplements as a result of it. And as she's explaining this to me, I'm like, wow, there's such a connection between our body and literally producing serotonin, for example. And I was just blown away. And I went on a little bit of my own search of who are the people that can start to support autistic children. And that's when I saw one of your posts. And I was like, ding, 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 I found someone. And we chatted 
ahead of time too. So a little behind the scenes of the podcast is I don't just bring anyone on the podcast. I need to feel confident in what they're going to share. So Nina Marie and I had a conversation before this, and I wanted to make sure that it was in alignment, but supplemental to the type of things that I share. So I'm excited to dive in. Thank you. I'm excited too. So let's talk a little bit about what is this testing? Great question. So there's different kinds. When it comes to the children that I work with that parents may think that they have ASD or have a formal diagnosis of ASD, a GI map or a stool test is really helpful or insightful. There's often a lot of digestive issues that go on, at least with the clients that I see. The HTMA analysis, so it's a hair tissue test that measures your levels of minerals um, and then something called an organic acids test. So this is a urine test and they all give me different aspects on someone's health. The reason that I like or would utilize a stool test, the gut microbiome, many of the bacteria there can be involved in neurotransmitter production or metabolism. So there could be a disruption there or they can assist. There's this wonderful gut-brain connection. There's often a lot of inflammation in the GI tract as well. And so that test can help us to see what the level of inflammation may be and even give us some hints at where that inflammation may be coming from. There are specific bacterial strains that can be inflammation producers. And there are other strains that are anti-inflammation. And so we want to look at the levels of all of those specifically. If there's inflammation in the GI tract, that can lead to inflammation in the brain. And so that's where one of the connections for GI to brain can also be something to consider. Before I continue on the next steps, this is one of the main tests that I use with my middle son. And the measurement or marker there you want is close to zero for the inflammation specifically. And the lab will flag it as high if it's 173 or more. The adults that I had seen that had high inflammation were 300, 400 levels. So pretty significant. When I did my son's test, and I had been running this test for many years at this point, I got his results back and his results were 1,400. And I had never seen something so high. And so this was a marker. This was something else, another clue to what was going on in his body specifically. And he was five at the time. We did dietary changes very strictly, 95% of the time, what I wanted to do. And within four months, when we retested, that 1,400 marker was down to 25. So we saw a significant change in his GI inflammation, pretty much from dietary changes because you can't force a five-year-old to take all the supplements all the time. Yeah. So I got it in whenever I could. That was really helpful in moving the dial in my son's journey. The other test that I mentioned is a hair tissue mineral analysis. It doesn't just measure minerals. It has a lot of them. It also measures different heavy metals. And oftentimes there's heavy metal toxicity in children who may have ASD and they can be at very high levels, a bunch of different kinds. So we can see where some of those may be. There are some mineral markers that can be calming to the central nervous system. And so oftentimes those levels can be low in children with ASD or who have hyperactivity, ADHD, things like that. So things like calcium, magnesium, or zinc. Those are sedative minerals and they're often lacking. The organic acids test, the urine test that I like to use, gives us some clues on mold toxicity. There's a three-year-old boy 
that I am working with now, after a known mold exposure, he started to have the regression in many of the things he had already been doing. So speech and walking, things like that. You also see in the organic acid test or the oat, there are B vitamins that are measured. And oftentimes B vitamins and methylation in children with ASD can be impaired. And so there are some clues there and connections with those B vitamins. There's also something called clostridia, which is a bacteria in the GI tract. And it can produce some metabolites that disrupt different serotonin or neurotransmitter markers as well. So each one of those can give us different pieces of the puzzle. There's no one test that does an adequate job to give us as much information as possible. Yeah. And a couple of things that I'm thinking as you're describing all of this is one, the goal of this is to be able to regulate the body so that your child physiologically, biologically can operate at their ideal level. Because sometimes what we see is there's this effect. I've actually said that it's analogous. I mean, it's not the same thing, but think about when you feel sick, you're not at your optimal performance. It's harder for you to be able to do things. And so if your body is physically dysregulated, it's making it harder for your autistic child to be able to do what is optimal for them. So that's one way that I think about it, but the goal is never to get rid of autism because that's beautiful. That's how your child's brain thinks. And yes, there might be differences there, but that's their unique abilities. And I bring this up because historically in the field, and this came about with my own brother, which in a previous episode, I shared my family story, but my brother did go on a gluten casein-free diet and actually saw really good responses because he had a lot of sensitivities in this area. But I think back then I remember that the goal being, well, it was to quote unquote, cure autism. And that's not the realm that we're talking about. It really is focused on how do we support your child's body to be able then to support their progress holistically. Yes, absolutely. There are different kinds of dietary theories. And for some people they work and for others they don't. I think part of the reason is because it comes back to that inflammation in the GI tract. So for my middle son, once I saw that inflammatory marker so high, there were some clues in the rest of the test on where that inflammation was coming. But the level at which it was told me that there was other information that I needed. And so that's when I decided to run a food sensitivity test for him because that will create inflammation. So some people can have an inflammatory response to gluten and casein and things like that. There are others who don't. And so when we ran his food sensitivity test, gluten did come back as an issue, but dairy did not. Another weird thing that came back was cucumber. And I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work for you right now. So we eliminated some of those things that we knew were inflammatory for him. But I don't think that that in and of itself is the answer to addressing what may be going on or creating inflammation. You don't want to just remove the stressor. You want the body to become resilient in order to handle that stressor. Your body should be able to handle cucumbers. It should be able to handle milk. If it isn't, there's a weakness at some level and you want to correct that weakness. And so the elimination should be temporary as you work on wherever that weakness is to be able to try to reintroduce those things. 
too often we're dependent on these elimination diets without properly correcting what's going on in the GI tract. So there could be leaky gut where things are passing the intestinal lining into the bloodstream when they shouldn't be. Those proteins are now looked at as foreign invader, time to attack, and that's why the inflammation gets so high. Whereas if we can help tighten up the gut lining and help the immune system in the GI tract itself, 70% of your immune cells, 70 to 80, are in your GI tract. If you can support your little immune soldiers there, there's a better ability to handle normal everyday things where these weaknesses are occurring. One of the things you mentioned about detoxification and all of these things, your body cannot detoxify well if you're in a fight or flight response, in a fight or flight mode. So many children have this alarmed central nervous system and the alarm is always ringing. And if it's always ringing, your body will put non-life-sustaining functions on hold because I don't need to use the bathroom right now. I'm running from a bear is how it's interpreting the world, right? I don't need to handle this food right now because I'm running from a bear. And so you want to help correct that central nervous system response. We need to get out of fight or flight and into the regenerative, calm, renewing response in order for the body to detoxify. And this is for any person. If you are stressed, those non-life dependent functions are put in the backseat because right now it's time to run or it's time to fight. It's not time to sit and use the bathroom. It's not time to eat and digest. It's not time to detoxify. It's not time to sleep. Sleep can come so hard because we're stuck in fight or flight because that cortisol is high and that's the wakefulness hormone. And so you now have sleep struggles. I loved what you shared, but everything you just shared, I wanted to be like, yes, yes. For a couple reasons. I mean, I talk about fight or flight all the time in the context of working with autistic children who are really anxious, maybe have clinically significant anxiety. We're working through exposures and all of that and trying to regulate the body in that way. But it's also interesting to think about it from a physiological level too. But I just love what you shared overall is really breaking down what needs to happen. And I've never thought about this, that there has been such this emphasis on these elimination diets being the fix, so to speak, mm -hmm. that we're not actually solving the primary problem. Yes, you're not. You're just removing a stressor. And to what end? Because you're not correcting the problem that is allowing your body to have this wrong inflammatory response. Other foods then become inflammatory to you. And then you have to keep restricting. And then you have to keep restricting. And now there's only two safe foods that you can eat. What is the point of only living on a couple of foods when one, that's not going to be nourishing to you. It's not going to provide all of the nutrients necessary, let alone give you what's necessary for building neurotransmitters and being able to detoxify. But two, what a terrible life to live. Like that's so boring and just the anxiety inducing, that's not a safe food for me. Being able to switch and come out of that, we can correct physiological things. And if correction is not ultimately possible, there are things that we can bring in alongside you to complement what your needs are in order for your body to handle those kinds of things. Yeah. And here's the thing. I know these diets aren't easy because again, Growing up with a brother, he was diagnosed at 23 months of age, and that was the immediate response. My mom was told to put him on a gluten casein-free diet, and she did, but it was 
so hard, not only figuring out what he would eat, he was a picky eater already, Mm -hmm. but then also the accommodation of our family. And then interestingly, also at the same time, I had some allergies too. And so my mom was making everyone in the family something different to eat, which is so stressful, not ideal. And so I do want to say that if you're listening and you have your child on one of these diets, what I'd encourage you to do, it's not saying you've made the wrong decision, but you might just look into, are there indicators that this is the best diet for your child? And are there other additional things that you can add in to help complement this and to really help heal the physiological system in addition to what you're doing. And so I think that's something that is important to say is that you're not doing anything wrong right now. And we're inundated with all of this information. So I guess that would be a next question for me is how do parents sort through this information? I love social media. I think it's amazing. There's so much useful information. And I also know There's a lot of information, particularly I find on TikTok, that's talking about all these different, basically, diets that are good for autistic children. So what would you recommend a parent scrolling TikTok, wondering, what would you say to them and how to kind of navigate this all? I am a person who contributes information about food on social media. So I know that to some degree, I am part of the quote unquote problem. However, my approach is never blanket diets for individuals, period. My own life experience has shown that in each in different stages of my life, my body needs different things. So understanding this epigenetic input, so what is happening in your surroundings, your environment, your current life stage, all of that is going to contribute to what your physiological needs are. How much sleep you're getting is going to contribute to that. How much water you're getting is going to contribute to what you need. And then are you in your childbearing years? Did you just have a child? Are you a child? All of those things will dictate your different physiological needs. So that's something to remember is when we're getting so much information and it's wonderful to have so much education at our fingertips. It's just, we have to remember that we cannot implement generalizations. Like all of this information needs to be applied to an individual and Every single individual not only is different from another, but you're different from your own self a year later, two years later. So when I'm working with families, mothers, children in particular, I'm always letting them know I am going to make dietary change recommendations based on the tests that we see. So you may have low markers in these specific minerals, we may see that there are specific strains of bacteria that are too low in your GI map. We might see that there is a lot of mold coming up in the organic acid test. And those are where I make recommendations from. Because if I were to give you the same recommendations I gave to someone else, surely at some point, those are not going to work for your body if you don't have the same problems. And even if you do have the same problems, often what led to that same problem isn't the same. And so one person with an ASD diagnosis is not the same as the next person. You could have methylation issues in one child and you can have heavy metal toxicity in another. And so the recommendations will always be, or should always be, I should say, tailored to a specific individual's needs. And so if you come across 17 different diets and they're all calling all of the other ones wrong, 
know that you can take the information and then your best next step is to have proper testing done to know what your child's needs are in order to apply what we know would then benefit him or her. Oh, I think this is such a good reminder, just broadly speaking, is that social media is amazing. You even said, I provide information about nutrition and I contribute to this too. I provide education all the time on social media. And we need to remember that any one person giving information on social media, they're not making clinical recommendations or medical Mm -hmm. recommendations for your child. That's why even on this podcast, I have this disclaimer. My goal is to educate so you can start to become informed on different things, but I'm not telling you to do any one thing with your child. And I think that's something we need to keep in mind, especially with these dietary recommendations, is that's just it, they're educating you on it. And then you need to have that additional testing done for your autistic child and saying, hey, what are our next steps? I'd suggest that versus this trial and error approach too. Or the other thing I just wanna say too, I see this actually quite a lot, is sometimes, sadly, there can be a lot of shaming too of, well, what do you mean that you're not cutting out all red dyes from your child's diet? Like you should be doing that. And I think while it often is well-intentioned of trying to educate, it creates a lot of shame internally for parents of like, oh no, I'm not doing enough. Should I be doing this? And I think that's where, again, coming back to a provider that has expertise in this area to be able to support you is gonna make a world of a difference for you to feel confident you're on the right path of supporting your child's needs. Yes, every single time. Yeah. Okay, let's do a quick little rapid fire. of You're mentioning some of these tests. What are some examples of, okay, this test comes back, this is the type of recommendation. Just to give parents a general idea of, okay, I put my child, through this testing, which really isn't that hard. It's a hair sample, it's urine and a stool sample. So luckily it's not a blood draw, but what would they expect on the result side of things, of the type of things you'd be recommending? So for the HTMA test itself, I'm looking at different mineral levels and depending on what I'm seeing, there may be deficiencies. Um, Let me backtrack a second. So the levels that are low on an HTMA test tell me that there could be poor absorption of nutrients and that's where that GI map can be really helpful or there could just be an insufficiency in itching to begin with. The second thing that it can tell me when levels are high, this doesn't mean unless we know that there is like high supplementation of a particular nutrient that you're getting too much of whatever that nutrient is because the nature of this test is that something is leaving the body through hair. So what we're seeing with high levels on the hair tissue mineral analysis is that the body is losing that mineral at a high rate. So we're going to see loss to some degree uh, because the nature is that it's hair growth. But when we're seeing them at high levels, that means we're losing it higher than we should. So oftentimes I'm seeing that and I'm like, okay, what nutrients do I need to help the body hold on to those? Because there's obviously enough. We're seeing that there's enough here. We're losing at a high rate. We need to think about the other cofactors necessary to help the body hold those things. So sometimes I'll see a high loss of zinc, for example. Zinc is really 
really helpful for picky eating because it helps your taste buds to be able to actually enjoy food. And so if you're losing your zinc, yeah, if you're losing zinc, this is often a big thing for picky eating. Everything just tastes gross to you and you don't want to eat it. This is one of the things that was lost for individuals who had COVID. So they lost their taste specifically. Zinc is what was used to help recover some of that. It's also really essential for brain development and for speech. And so we're seeing two, three things already from one mineral alone, that if we can help support that, that can help change or at least start to move the dial on some of the things that we may see in our children. We're not saying go put your child on zinc either. That's what I think is so important to take from this episode is like, this is tailored to your child. If your child's not getting enough zinc, that's where we can supplement. But don't be like, oh, my child has a speech delay. I'm going to go put them on zinc. No, there's many other things involved as well. Yes. And even to that point, I almost never recommend isolated supplementation. So I don't tell clients go buy a zinc, go buy a magnesium or anything like that, because all of these minerals have relationships to each other. Those relationships can be synergistic where they partner, or they can be antagonistic where they oppose each other. Zinc opposes copper. So if you go start supplementing with zinc, you're dumping copper and copper can't do its job in the body. So you start to push it down. Magnesium can oppose potassium or calcium. And so if we start just isolated supplementing, then we can mess with other levels. And so this is where having the like big picture of everything that's going on is going to be what's most essential. And so when I get results back, I'm looking at all of these things. I'm thinking about, okay, this level is high over here. That could be why this is being pushed down. We have these high metals over here, et cetera, et cetera. And I work with a company that formulates one supplement powder based on your results. And it has the minerals that we need. It has the vitamin cofactors that we may need. It has amino acids that are going to be helpful to hold on to those things as well. And for a child, it's one drink a day. We're working on mineral balancing with one drink a day that was tailored to your specific child's needs so that you're not sitting here with 17 bottles and five capsules that they have to swallow. And now you're trying to get them to do it and they can't. So the mineral test specifically is based in Canada. I love them. They have the most amazing standards in testing. They have the best forms of nutrients that your body can actually absorb. So another caution on going and buying something over the counter. Oftentimes those supplements are in forms that your body cannot use. And so many people think, yes, magnesium, if I'm constipated, it helps to loosen your stools. The reason that it does that is because the form that you use was one that your body can't absorb and it's trying to rush it out of you. And so we have to pay attention to even being able to read labels because what you take in is going to impact what your body does. And if you have someone who already has struggles with detoxification and then you're giving them something else that the body can't handle anyway, you can burden that child's detox system as well. And so again, cautioning on just capsules and pills and whatever at your child or yourself, whatever it might be. Testing is really what's going to give you what you know that your body needs. And then ensuring that you have the proper types is also going to ensure that you can actually take it in. Absolutely. Okay. Give me just because of time so we can wrap this up soon, but give me two other examples of things that you commonly see in autistic children and then the change that you often are making or recommending. Okay. So for 
HTMA, there's often low calcium, low magnesium, and low zinc. Those three are sedative minerals. They help to calm the central nervous system. They're needed to help bring that central nervous system out of fight or flight. They are almost always low or very, very, very low. So those are things that I want to help increase. And I'll give you some dietary things. Here are foods that are rich in these specific mineral sources that we can start to bring in. I give you some tips and tricks on, okay, maybe your child has four foods they eat and they don't want to eat anything else. Then we start with literally the size of your thumbnail for that new food. And that's all that you are requiring that child to try. And then whatever else happens, happens. You want to help the child feel safe at mealtime. Mm -hmm. Because if they're not safe at mealtime, again, you're eliciting that fight or flight response. And if that fight or flight response is elicited, your digestion goes out the window. And so no matter what they consume, they're not going to be able to absorb well. And so having a peaceful mealtime is really important as hard as that is with a child in general, let alone a child who has picky eating habits. Which real quick to interject, we did an entire episode. Episode 13 was Mm. on picky eating with Dr. Patty Ann Ford. She's a registered dietitian. So that could be also a good resource, but everything you're saying is exactly what we talked about in that episode. Yes. Mealtime needs to be peaceful for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. And so it's ensuring that you take steps to help your child and yourself enjoy mealtime will produce dramatic changes. So that's something that I see. For the organic acid test, I often see a lot of the B vitamins being lost at high rates. And so that's going to impair detoxification. It's going to impair neurotransmitter metabolism. It's going to impair amino acid metabolism, which is also helpful for detox. And so helping to look at that, even seeing the clostridia marker, sometimes that could be overgrown. That will also impair neurotransmitters. Helping to balance those, you might have a need to go and kill off some things in the GI tract. And so there may be recommendations for that specifically. For the GI map, I mentioned the high inflammation and the different imbalances with different bacteria. And so maybe a specific probiotic might be something that may be needed or trying to work with some fermented foods because that's going to be rich in natural probiotics. So depending on what we see, what bacterial strains are out of range, there will be recommendations for that as well. There's parasites that we may need to consider or overgrowth of candida or fungus. There's so many possibilities at what may be contributing to any type of dysfunction. That makes sense. And what would you say are common presenting problems? Why parents are presenting to you? What are they seeing that are saying, I need this level of support? One of the biggest one is speech delay. Another one is the child just goes around screaming, making noise. Trouble sleeping is also a big one. Eczema is probably number one. Mm. So a lot of skin conditions. And then I have some parents that are like, I think that there may be something wrong, that there might be, my child might be on the spectrum, but it's not super severe. I know that I want to support them. Even if they don't have a formal diagnosis, they're like, there's something that we need to support and I want to figure out what it is. And so I have some parents like that as well. Parents know when something is off with their child. You have to trust your intuition. No provider knows your child like you do. They don't live with your child. They don't know your child's tendencies, habits, quirks, anything like that. And so trust your gut. If something feels off, 
find someone who will help you detect whether or not something is off, not just brush off any concerns that you may have. Because we live in a world where there's a lot of burden on the body. We live in the post-industrial revolutionary time. And so all of the technology that we have is amazing, but there's a cost to it on the physiological level as well. And so there's more toxins in our environment, in our food, in our water. We don't sleep as well as we should. All of those different things can impact our system. And so if at any moment something is off, you should find someone who can support you to at least be a detective and not just find something for the sake of finding something right. because that could be out there as well. But really, truly seeing, is there something here? No, your child's fine. And having the evidence to back it up as well and not just brushing you off. Absolutely. And that's literally something I say on this podcast all the time is you as the parent are the expert of your child and find those people that view you in that way. So I love ending off there, but before we do, if they're listening to you and they're like, okay, some of the behaviors that you're describing, I see in my child, I've wondered about this. My intuition is telling me this is the next best step. And they feel like they've really resonated and connected with you. How can they reach out to you and get in touch with you about looking into some of this testing you've described? Thanks. You can find me on Instagram. That is the primary social media I use. And my handle is at Dr. Nina Marie. And there is a link in my bio says work with me. You can apply there and I'll reach out with information on next steps on being able to chat. I always set up a free call ahead of time. I want to hear from you. I want to know what your concerns are. And that also gives me the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not the right person for you or absolutely, I can support you in what your needs are. I want to be completely honest. And if I'm not the right person with you, I always have a referral. I know who will be, and I'm happy to send you to someone who would be best in supporting you. I love that. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for being here. I feel like I have learned so much in this episode. So I know parents are going to feel the exact same way. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. Yeah. All right, y'all, that is a wrap for this week's episode. I will be back next week with another episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. Thank you for listening. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism and your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.